Cause we're the Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Houston Oilers number one Yes, we're the Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Hello, everyone. You're listening to Battle Red Radio. I'm at Weston tonight for the Super 2021 Houston Texans season preview. We have Rivers McCown. We have L4 Blitzer, as you know, Scott. Yep. And we have Sports Radio 610's morning show host, Sean Pettengrass. How are you guys doing tonight? Awesome. So I, our, our big plan here is to preview the Texan season. We're going to start talking to Sean because Sean's been a real strong, brave man. He's been on the heat with the bucket hat, hanging out with David Kelly, uh, watching everything that's going on out there. Um, and so we want to get some, some of an inside opinion and what he's been seeing instead of merely just like regurgitating things we've been seeing on Twitter and clips of Jordan Aikens making catches over Christian Kirksey, you know. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot more alive than that. And Matt, just to be clear, I don't go bucket hat. I go raw. I go sunscreen on top of the head, baby. There you I'm go. in it. I'm, I'm in. I'm dude. I'm all in for 2021. No bucket hat for me, man. <laughs> what about you, Scott? Do you go bucket hat if you're outside in 102 degrees? Uh no, I gotta go hats. I mean, I, I could put sunscreen up there after a shave, particularly, but it's like, nah, it you gotta have the hat. I mean Come on, man. <laughs> Yeah, but the problem is I've, I've fried my head enough that it's starting to catch up to me. So you just got to – I have to accept reality. But No, I'll yeah. definitely get skin cancer on my scalp at some point, but at least I'm comfortable outside. It's all good. <laughs> well, well, least we, you don't realize how much hair absorbs all that sweat too. I just got to say true. that. It's true. Totally true. <laughs> That's something you, learn, you don't learn until you go that point. So just yep. everyone out in the audience, be careful. That's why you keep handkerchiefs around in your back pocket in the summer. Just saying. That's it, man. That's it. Well, at least you know that Sean's tough. I mean, Sean's tough. We're going to finally be smart and dependable uh, and selfless throughout the, the next selfless, 35 yes. minutes or so. Make sure it's selfless. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, Sean, our first question for you is, you know, there, the pre- I guess O'Brien was there for six years. And so six years you had to – we got to cover him, watch his brand football, uh, watch him talk about you know, being smart and uh, you know, keeping up the clock and being fast and pace and control the entire operation after – going from head coach to general manager. Uh, what's been the biggest difference between a Bill O'Brien training camp and a David Coley training camp uh, through like the first, you know, four weeks of camp or so? Yeah, I would say there's, there, there's a few things. Um, I, I would say one there, I mean, there's just some very basic things that are just kind of like the, the Coley's practices are, are longer than O'Brien's um, which is weird because I feel like they, they, they're more efficient as well. Like they, they're just, the, the O'Brien practices, it, and maybe it's because, let me back up. Some of this may be because we're better informed at practice than we've been the last few years. They've got these big scoreboards now out there, these huge video boards out of practice where they actually show replays of plays during the 11 on 11. They have a clock that shows how much time is left in each little session that they're doing. They have a graphic that shows exactly what the drills are that they're working on at that point. So some of this may be because we're just better informed as media that, oh, what are they doing this session here? We look up and they go, okay, well, they're two and a half minutes into, uh, you know, kick return 
you know, team or, or jog through or team three, which is the third session of 11 on 11 and stuff like that. Typically every practice has 15 different sessions that they do. So we're way better informed as to exactly what it is they're doing out there as media. So some of, some of how I feel about how better run the practices are, maybe just because we're, we, we know better as to what exactly it is they're doing, how much is left in each drill, how, how quickly they're getting from drill to drill. But it does feel like the practices are a little more crisp with Cully. It feels like there's more teaching going on with the assistant coaches with Cully than there was with O'Brien. There's a whole lot less screaming with the head coach going on um, at, a, at a David Cully practice than there was with O'Brien. But that's not to imply that Cully is like a soft touch at practice. Like he, he, he gets on guys from time to time. I think he put out a kind of like the image you had of Cully out there after the first few press conferences with, was that I honestly, like my impression was this guy might be a doddering old man out there. That's just out there. Like he won a contest to be the head coach. And he's, he's, it hasn't been that. Um, but I, I feel like the, the, the practices are definitely longer. They haven't gone inside other than one day where there were torrential downpours. I feel like there's more hard work getting done during a Cully practice than there was during an O'Brien practice. There's definitely veterans who are practicing a whole lot more under Cully than they did under O'Brien. By like O'Brien's second or third year, if you were a veteran who was there for five or six years, you were barely practicing at all compared to Cully where like Laramie Tunsil's been out there every day practicing. You know what I mean? Like I think in an O'Brien camp, Tunsil would have been a guy they would have held out quite a bit. So I, I do feel like there's more getting done. Some of that may just be Darwinism kicking in and realizing, man, we need to get a lot done because we're not a very good football team right now. Yeah, yeah I guess that's also kind of the, the idea of the yeah. competition, too, that they have. You know, like they have as many players in the roster and try and push each other, that sort of thing. And the other thing that's important about David Coley is that he knows what works. And he, he saw it worked in, you know, Baltimore and Buffalo and Kansas City. And, uh, you know, he's bringing that here to Houston, too. Um, what's the meanest thing you've ever heard him say to a player so far? I know you kind of mentioned that he's a lot tougher than you might expect, you know, from how his press conferences are. Yeah, I, 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 okay, I'll say this. I've not heard him curse yet. And usually by like the fifth minute of training camp, O'Brien's cursed like four times. So <laughs> there's another difference. Like the language, it's the a Cully practice is more like PG at worst. Like an O'Brien practice is definitely like NC-17. So um, so there's that. Uh, I would say like this, the scrimmage, the Saturday night scrimmage that they had a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago from today, mm -hmm. um, was probably the first time we saw – that Cully had a side to him where he was just not going to be very tolerant of mistakes. You know, the guys were making mistakes. Guys were making pre-snap penalties and things like that. And he was, get him off the field, yanked him off the field, yelled at guys coming off the field. So, I mean, you're not going to get the colorful language you get with O'Brien, but Cully's definitely, Cully's definitely a guy who, who does, he, he doesn't take to mistakes very well. I think that where the rubber meets the road is how accountable he's going to hold guys, you know, for that during, I mean, it's, it's tough to ascertain that during training camp as to if it's bluster or if it's actually something that if a guy were to do this repeatedly during the regular season, is he going to be held accountable for that? So that, that kind of remains to be seen. But I would say that was the first time where we looked at David Cully that Saturday night a couple of weeks ago where we're like, OK, well, that's, you know, that was, uh, uh, you know, that that's something that that we, you know, that. That's something, that's a side of him that had not been portrayed yet. To that point, the only sides that had been portrayed were, boy, I'm, this is one of 32 jobs. I'm really happy to have this job. The McNairs are awesome. Uh, 
and and then bumbling through a bunch of Deshaun questions. You know what I mean? Like just like you know, handling a Deshaun question like you just got handed a coked up porcupine or something. <laughs> you know? So that those are the only impressions we had. So I think it was really encouraging to see that he had a side to him where he actually got mad. You know what I mean? Like he actually got angry with things. Yeah, I uh, I you know I think with the Ryland things, I always kind of felt about him is that. He wasn't like a, a tough guy necessarily, but he cussed a lot to try to give up this air that like, you know, that's how he tried to get respect and to show that he was you know, like a tough guy that you get to be worried about. And like, I think when things are cool, I think I'm kind of, one of the things I've learned too as an adult is that the person who cusses and yells the most probably is like the toughest or most respectful guy. There's a reason that they act the way that they do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're talking about O'Brien, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then the funny thing about that is like O'Brien put out this, this image. Yeah. Like, I'm going to curse and I'm going to be so tough and I'm going to yell. And yet it was the formula to crack getting into Bill O'Brien's good side was really, really easy. You know what I mean? Like for a guy who would just scream and yell and curse and put off this portray, this image of somebody who was going to hold people accountable. If you showed up at the building on time, if you stayed really late, if you thieved gym equipment and brought it to your house and didn't use it like Nick Martin, <laughs> if you if you were night, you know, if you if you did good works in the community, like all like all these things, you know, like I, like honestly, like basically, if you were Nick Martin. Just watch and see what Nick Martin and Whitney Merciless did for the last two or three years. And I like both of those guys just fine, but they didn't deserve the contracts that they got. Like that's where you're, you're totally right, Matt. Like there was like there's a phoniness to it. You know what I mean? Like when you're just sitting there cursing and you're yelling and but yet you have this really easy code to crack where you don't actually have to be good at football and, and, and you get treated like you're good at football. So I, I think, look, it's so early in the Cully and, and really let's call it the Cully and Casario regime. Cause that's, that's what it is. You know what I mean? Like, like everything that we're watching out of training camp is being far more, I think, orchestrated by Nick Casario than it is by, by David Cully. Like I'm not, I'm not saying that like David Cully has no say that goes on. He's the head coach. And on game day, he's the head coach and this and that, but Cully is much more the architect of the big picture of what we're seeing out there. So we'll, you know, we'll find out, we'll find out more about what, what exactly accountability is and, and, and how this all gets executed once the regular season rolls around. Sean, what uh, is the meanest word that David Cully will say this season? And why is it jeepers? Oh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we're at like, this, like Garrett Cole, like whatever. For Pete's sake, you know, like something like that. Yeah, for for Pete's sake, consarn it, consarn it. That's what it's going to be. I gotta, you know what? I gotta, I gotta go to the internet and look up like um, uh, interjections from rural Tennessee and see what they say there. <laughs> That's what I got to go look up, and then I'll and then I'll answer your question, Rivers. I got to go look that up. Whatever the whatever's on that page that that jumps out at me, that's what it's going to be. I look like he's he's a he's a really nice man. I've yet to hear him curse at practice. I don't know if he, I don't know if he's got that club in his bag or not. Have we got like at least cut a darn or a dad gummit or something? Nothing. Like that? Not, really? Nothing. But I, but I'll say this: like we're he doesn't yell a lot. At, like O'Brien would yell at practice. Cully doesn't yell a lot. Um, Cully's a generally much more pleasant human being. Um, and, and we're, we're far enough away where we can't really hear the coaches. You know what I mean? Like that, that's one different thing about this year. Um, I mean, you, you, it's a different year. The last two years have been different because of COVID. I'm sure you guys have been out there when there's actually people other than us allowed out there before where there's just a whole lot more access. We're kind of pigeonholed into this one little area way down at the end 
towards the end zone of the two fields that are next to each other. So it's really hard for us to hear anything that the coaches are really saying to the players um, unless they're near, you know, unless they're running a drill that's right next to us. You know what I mean? Yeah, it sounds like watching ice hockey. Uh, how much Jack Easterby is there in training camp? Because we call, we saw those shots of like him lined up as a scout team defensive lineman with yeah. his eyes around backward and that sort of thing. Is there? Is he on practice? Is he pretty involved? He is. I don't know. Like involved. Like he's he's out of practice. He's definitely near the team. He's walking around with papers in his hand. I don't know what's on the papers. Like it, <laughs> like it could be doodles. It could be Bible verses. It could be actual football things. I have no idea. But he's walking around with bucket hat on. He's he hey. He is team bucket hat. He is he is team bald bucket hat guy. Um, so he's walking around bucket hat, papers in hand, and he is like he's doing all the stuff you'd expect Easterby to do. Like when they're in the stretching lines, he's walking around and hitting guys on the shoulder pads and and doing all that stuff. So he's he's out there. He's probably closer to the team than most fans would want him to be. Like I think most fans would hope that Jack Easterby's staying up in his office and doing football operations things. So he's out there. I don't think he's coaching the team or anything like that. I like to think that Nick Casario is the one that's kind of running things at this point and that Jack Easterby is doing all the things that are advertised in a football operations job as opposed to all the things he was doing when Bill O'Brien was a general manager, which was kind of doing things in tandem with Bill O'Brien. And then when Bill O'Brien got fired, he was the GM for the rest of the season. I don't think that's the case anymore. But he's he's 100%. He's out there every day. He's not standing off to the side watching. He's he's close to the action. When they're running 11 on 11, he's standing there in the mix with all the other fringe people that are standing there, you know, players, coaches. He's right there standing with them. So I don't know what that all means, but my guess is that anybody listening to this podcast or watching this video probably doesn't like hearing that he's anywhere close to the team. So I can't deliver good news along those fronts um, as to as to him being out there or not. My hope is that whatever it is he's doing is something that's staying out of the way of Nick Casario and David Culley. Yeah, I'm glad that gives Rivers something else he can add to his database of the the whole storage unit he has of, of Jack Easterby information. Just Who's that? All, What's that? All the dabs, all the dabs, all the dabs. Let's go. Rivers, Rivers has a whole storage unit of Jack Easterby information. So oh, you can, oh. Yeah, it's part, it's part of his ongoing investigation, so we had to ask him that. Yeah, it's, 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 in, it's in the F drive, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't really want to ask this because we try to be, I don't know, somewhat different than everybody else. But, uh, you know, there's fans every single time they get so tired of Deshaun Watson. Yeah. What's your kind of take on the Deshaun Watson situation? Is it, like, embarrassing to watch him out there at safety? Is it the way, like, he walks up on the field and does stuff on the sideline? Is it a distraction at all? Or is it just kind of like what's expected with is kind of a bizarre situation that's unprecedented? Yeah, I mean, I've been out there every day for it, so I'm happy to talk about it. I, I think the safety thing was a little overblown. Like, to me, him standing there with it, you know, he had on one of those shower caps on the helmet that they wear when they're doing special teams. He, like, honestly, to me, that was more like I, I was actually thinking, like, that's kind of cool of Deshaun to do. He's not actually playing safety in there, okay? Like, he's like, – like, they're not – it's not 11 on 11 and Deshaun is a scout team safety. It's literally they have a skeleton of the – of like the of like nine guys on offense and they're literally walking through certain formations and they just need stand-ins out there to stand in the position of where the defense would be and certain things like that. So I'm like when I say stand in, Deshaun is literally standing at safety and he's not moving. So it's not like they're running plays and he's running up there and he's doing thud, you know, and he's hitting guy, you know, like so I, I think it it to, when that was happening, he's not doing that anymore in camp, by the way. 
when he was doing that was right at the beginning. And I think a lot of us, and I, I'll be, I'll admit, I was just as guilty of anybody as tweeting about Deshaun doing stand-in work at safety and that stuff. Like in retrospect, it wasn't that big a deal. I think the overriding thing, Matt, that you're asking about is just him being out there and like, what's the, like, what's the distraction been like? How awkward has it been? So I would say this, it's been, it's been awkward for sure. Um, even two days ago or yesterday, it might've been, I think it was yesterday when he was doing all the footwork drills and stuff on a side field and everybody else is working out. It's just really weird, especially in light of the, the, like the news that's come out over the last four or five days, it just feels heavier on the legal side than it's been um, him seeing him out there yesterday was a little bit strange. As far as the distraction goes, I don't think the team's distracted at all. Like uh, the team is getting, you know, the, the team is just doing their stuff. You know what I mean? And, and Deshaun, sometimes he'll stand really far away from the team. Sometimes he's standing near the team and he's chit-chatting with coaches or other players. They don't seem to have any animosity towards him. He doesn't seem to have any animosity towards them. And that's up to and including Cully and Casario. I think everybody's kind of settled into a, a, a place where they understand what the situation is. I think both sides want out of this situation. I think the talk that we heard from Jake Laser and others a few weeks ago that, that they're trying to make up with Deshaun or they want him to be the starting quarterback in week one or like whatever they want, they still want him to be the quarterback of the team. This is just me observing behavior and talking to people and things like that. I, I, I don't believe that for one second at all. I think both sides want out of the situation. I, the, honestly, we are more distracted as media members with Deshaun than any of his teammates are. The team's not distracted at all. They, well, I mean, I can't speak for what's going on in their heads. They don't operate like people who are distracted by Deshaun being there one bit. You know, the practices run smoothly. They run crisply. Um, you know, I, so I, I don't think it's been a, a big distraction. It's been, it's been really awkward to observe. And it's kind of sad. I think, like, that's my overriding emotion in the whole thing, guys, is that it's just to me, and especially that first day, um, when he was standing back there at safety, and again, it's not one of those things like you're playing safety, but the fact that you have this guy who has provided more highlights in three or four years for this team than any other player has over the course of their career, like, like next level highlights that nobody else can do um, at the most important position in football, that, that that was him the last three years, that he carried this team to the best of his ability the last three years. And now here we are in 2021, and he's got a shower cap on his head, and he's standing there bored in a skeleton defensive formation in a walkthrough. To me, it was just sad. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, that, when does this happen with a franchise quarterback? And whether it's the team's fault or now Deshaun's fault with all the legal stuff, it's probably a combination of the two things. I was just sad more than anything else in watching it, more so than awkwardness or anger or anything else. I'm like, man, this just sucks. It just sucks, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and, you need like a player, player Watson, Watson caliber, like, like a top, top five quarterback. Um, he had the ACL injury in 2017 and playing for Bill O'Brien. Like, I feel like we still don't even know how good he could you know, really possibly be. And now coming into this year where, you know, like we know he's the top five quarterback for sure. Um, he may not even play it all this season. Yeah. And so like, I really can't think of a, a young quarterback who like has had so much of his like potential and career wasted in like the span of six years. Like he has, like you can really kind of make the case that maybe, you know, half of his, half of his seasons have, you know, really haven't really kind of amounted to as much as maybe they could have been in a different situation or a different team or different injury luck or a different coaching staff or, um, you know, whatever else. Yeah. I would say the only thing is you, as you 
kind of talk through what you were saying there. The only one I can think of is Michael Vick. And that's because of obviously totally, well, like, I mean, the legal stuff, I guess, kind of different reasons, but like really honestly, totally, like he literally went to prison. Like that's the only one, but you're, you're talking about just from purely a, a football standpoint, like, yeah. Could you, could you have asked for a quarterback that good to step into a situation that wound up being as bad as it wound up being at the, you know, toward like, and honestly, like the first two or three years was pretty normal football stuff. Like he got injured. The team was bad. They fired the GM. They brought in a new GM who did some decent things from really the beginning of 2019 on. He was plunked down in a situation where he's having to try to carry on his shoulders. One of the most weird, bizarre, dysfunctional, inept situations that you could ever find with a football player. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, Rivers, do you have any burning training camp questions you have for Sean at all? Well, not really a training camp question per se, but Sean, you talk to Nick Asario a lot. You guys have interviewed him a couple of times. I just, I, I guess, as somebody who only gets press clippings, what's this guy like as a person? What do, what do you guys talk about when the cameras aren't rolling? Yeah. Uh, um, uh, he's actually, he's very cool when the cameras aren't rolling. He, he, the, the interviews that we've done out of camp, um, th those are the only times that we've, well, I shouldn't say that we've, so the times that we've spent with him when we haven't been on the air, we did a few zooms with him. So we had like five minutes before and then five minutes after, and then during camp, he would show up during the break leading into, we, Seth and I probably spent a total of about 30 minutes with him, like outside of being on, when you add it all up, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So, so, so I, I say all that to say, we've probably spent more time like that with him than any other media members in town mm -hmm. up to this point, but it's not like we've, you know, gone out to dinner with him or spent a weekend in Vegas with him or something like that. So, I mean, my observations are coming off a very limp, it's coming off a very limited framework, but it's probably a bigger framework than any other media member has. And I'll say this, he's, he's, he's incredibly friendly. Um, he connects very well with Seth when he sits there off the air with us because Seth's a former football player who Nick has scouted before. You know what I mean? Like that was yeah. the first time we were ever on a Zoom with each other. First time we were ever on a Zoom with each other. That was one of the things that came up. You know, that was the icebreaker it was Nick's like, oh, yeah, Seth, I got I got old scouting reports of you. Um, <laughs> so he's very like he's he's very cool. You know what I mean? Like he, I, I know I think people. I think people get frustrated sometimes with some of his answers to the questions we ask, but I don't think that's anything that people find unpredictable at all. You know what I mean? Considering yeah. where he, considering where he comes from, considering the sensitivity of some of the questions that we're asking him, you know, the Deshaun questions, he's actually, he's actually, it's the ironic thing about it rivers is that I think in the last few interviews we've done with him, the stuff that's come out of it, that's very usable from a content standpoint has been about Deshaun. You know what I mean? Like he's actually, and I don't know if it's if it's intentional or inadvertent, but a couple of interviews ago with him was when he said, we're going to make a decision by training camp with this or whatever. And I don't know. It doesn't look like they've made any, made any sort of decision with Deshaun other than to allow him to practice. But at that time, yeah. allowed him to, to allow him to practice. But at that time, we were a month removed from training camp. That got a lot of traction. When he said Deshaun's not going to Green Bay, that got a lot of traction because that was the first we'd heard that Deshaun wasn't traveling with the team. So ironically, the things he's given us that have turned into actual news have been about Deshaun. Um, but I like him so far. I you know, like off the air. I like him fine. He's, 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 he's very friendly. He loves Houston. 
we talk about that a lot, you know, family moving in and things like that as kids. And, and uh, so I, I, I mean, I like him. I'm rooting for him. Um, I, you know, I think he's, he strikes me as somebody who's, who's very smart. He's obviously, you know, his, the apprenticeship that he's had in the last 20 years has probably prepared him as well as anybody for what it, I, I don't know that anybody could be fully prepared for what he was walking into. You know, like one of, you heard like one of the questions I asked him in, in one of our training camp interviews with him was about welcome to the NFL moments. And that was a, it was a short answer, but it was one of the most honest moments that he had in the interview where I said, what was your welcome to being a GM moment? And he, and he laughs, he goes, oh, the first 24 hours, you know, <laughs> like sort of acknowledging how uh, unique the whole Deshaun, because that is, we all remember that was when Deshaun, you know, Deshaun, immediately like when Nick Casario got hired within 24 hours it's the rap lyrics and it's the trade request and it's everything by the time Nick's sitting in that chair on that Friday of that week we got 48 hours worth of bubbling trade rumors going on with Deshaun Watson so um so I I enjoy him I'll say this about Nick compared to his predecessors Nick has done more interviews with Sports Radio 610 in the what are we at now? Eight months he's been the GM. We're coming up on eight months. Eight might be eight months next week that he's been the GM. He's done more interview, and I'm not talking Texans radio. Like, like I just want to separate church and state here. And no disrespect to Texans radio, but it's different doing stuff in house than it is doing stuff on on the station. Yeah. Um, he's done more interviews on Sports Radio 610 in the eight months that he's been here than 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 all the GMs I've covered. And I go back to 2007. So I can't speak to Casterly. I think Casterly did a weekly hit with John and Lance back in the day. So Casterly was very media friendly GM, but from Rick Smith in 2006, all the way to Bill O'Brien or Seth and I call the GM version of him, William O'Brien from, from Rick Smith through William O'Brien. I think Nick Casario has done more interviews on sports radio 610 in eight months than all the GMs in that time frame, Smith, Gain O'Brien, and I guess interim GM Easterby, than 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 they did in uh, what is that fourteen years? Yep. You know, so I, I so I give him credit for that. I, I think people get you know people get uptight sometimes that he's not just spilling all of his business out there. You know, we don't expect we don't expect him to do like I don't expect him to do that. If we get if we get a few usable answers out of him, you know, we asked him in one of the interviews, I asked him. Hey, what's your policy on doing contracts in season? You know, because that was something that Smith, you know, like they they wouldn't do it. And he gave a, he gave an honest answer. He gave a good answer to that. He's like, I don't ever pigeon myself, pigeonhole myself in anything. I'll, you know, he basically said I'll do contracts in season. You know, he didn't say it like that, but that was that was the usability of that answer. We got an honest answer out of him. So I don't expect him to put all of his cards on the table. But it's a long way to answer the question, Rivers. And I, I like him. He's been very affable off of the air. And, you know, hope, I think once this Deshaun thing gets behind them in some shape, form or fashion, then then, you know, and, and the really the rebuild really starts to kick in. Then then maybe we you know, we get we get, a, a you know, we were able to we'll be able to drill in a little with a little more clarity with him. That's that's my hope. But I I like him. And, uh, you know, hopefully we're hoping we get to do more stuff with him. Given the fact that uh, he's notoriously hard to find. Uh food for uh where would you hope to drag him to uh, as, as far as restaurants go in town yeah no, no that's a good question that's a good question um two th- a couple things one we have to get him to a barbecue place it's just criminal that he hasn't eaten barbecue yet 
And we're already thinking we, we already have him giving a hundred dollars to a listener at some point here in the next week or so because of his uh, he proposed it like putting a poll yeah. up about the number of transactions. So so I'll credit him with that too. He agreed when we approached him. He agreed to give a hundred dollars to one of our listeners that uh, you know a yet to be determined listener. So that's going to happen. So you know so that's that's actually pretty cool. Um, uh, so barbecue for sure. We got to get him to eat barbecue so he can check that off the list. So he doesn't have to hear about that anymore. He says that his mom, he told us his mom used to make delicious Italian food. So we got to get him to a good Italian place for sure. Um, and then I, here's what I want to get him. There's an all you can eat Korean barbecue downtown. I want to see what someone who's in shape like that, how they treat an all you can eat place. You know what I mean? <laughs> I want to see. I want to see if he has a, a gear or a club in his bag where he actually cuts loose a little. I want to see what sort. I don't need the restrictor plate of a menu where you're ordering a specific thing and you pay thirty nine bucks for it. I want to give him the open ended all you can eat and see how he see how he accepts that challenge. But you can compare that to how he would work if it was uncapped for some reason. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I yeah. A hundred percent. Well, yeah. No. And you know what? I need Landry Locker sitting with me for that because Landry would turn that into two hours of radio, like based on how Nick Casario handled an yes. all you can barbecue. This is how he's going to construct the roster for the next three years. A hundred percent. So I, I have a very important question, question for you. Uh, how, how beautiful was Kahali Waring in person? He okay. I said this about Kahali wearing when 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 he was a rookie. I looked at him at camp, and I said I, two things. One, he's glorious. Like he's just he's statuesque. And I say that as a uh, you know as as a happily married man. To a woman. <laughs> um, I also said this. I said you know if we had to pick one of these Texans, if the aliens came down and they landed right over there at the Methodist Training Center and we had to fight them off, but we had ten minutes to clone one of the Texans to defend us. I would pick a Halle Waring. Like that dude looks, he just looks like, now it could be that we clone him and then we learn that he just can't fight at all. Like, you know, like but he, it's like when Michael in the office picks Stanley to be on the basketball team. Yeah. Just purely because of judging a book by its cover. And then they get out there and Stanley dribbles. Like he slaps the ball. Like, Oh my God, I can't play. You look like you're supposed to be able to dribble a basketball. Halle Waring looks like he's supposed to be able to whoop some ass. I don't know if he can, but that was the guy. So, so Matt, I say all that to say, like, he looks glorious. That said, he ain't making the team. He'll go look glorious in somebody else's practice <laughs> I'm, squad. I'm hoping for Cincinnati. I think he'd be good in Cincinnati. Maybe so. Is James Casey still coaching tight ends there? I know, I know he's coaching tight ends somewhere. I can't remember where, though. Well, it was, he, was this the other coach, day. he was definitely coaching them in Cincinnati. I just, you know how this stuff changes year to year. Yeah. But he, yeah. So, Cincinnati, huh? I, that's what, that's what I'm hoping because they have I think Drew Sample and they have one other tight end there. There's, um, there's room. I think there's room for him there. I think there's a and he can hang out with Xavier again over there. There you and, go, <laughs> DJ Reader. And I think there's I think Joe Burrow needs somebody they can throw a pass in the flat, like get the ball at one point one seconds, and he can get three yards. You know. There you go. There you go. James <laughs> uh, Casey still uh, gets paychecks from the Cincinnati Bengals as a coach. Even so. better. There you go. There you Even go. Better. Um, so, Sean, we read your 53-man article prediction today. And kind mm -hmm. of the biggest thing that I, we kind of took away from, I know Rivers tweeted this too, was that you don't have Shaq Lawson making the roster. Is this because of what you're seeing in training camp or the fact that he played well into the third quarter of the preseason game against the Packers? Yeah. Um, or like what he did kind of Miami where it was his most productive season high blitz defense where – he didn't really like have like a, a high level pass rush, like one versus one 
you know, win, yeah. uh, block win. So what's kind of, what's kind of your thoughts on the, the loss and decision yeah. on that? The, uh, well, the Miami part, look, you guys, you, you guys are much better at, at, at watching around the league than, and, and watching it through a prism of, of really educated eyes than I am. You guys, you guys all do such a great job. Um, so the Miami stuff, it has nothing to do with it. Um, the, I'm just going by based on, yes, playing in the third quarter of a preseason game, just like logically is not something as a defensive end is not so, when every other veteran is over there with their shoulder pads off, you know, that's in his salary range. Um, and he hasn't played the whole game. You know what I mean? All of a sudden get in there, Shaq. That's not a good sign, but it matches what we've seen out of camp. There have been so many times out of camp where, we're like, is Shaq Lawson practicing today? Is he practicing? Like, I mean, like probably more than any other defensive player that kind of registers with us, you know, like defensive player that came into training camp with some sort of name recognition. It's hard to find some of those. Um, it's hard to find him. He doesn't flash much at all. Um, and so I just haven't seen much out of him. Like ultimately, is he going to make the 53? He, he may, like to me, to me, it came down to, Shaq Lawson or Whitney Merciless on the defensive line. And I just picked Whitney to stay on the team because the dead cap money hit is less than it is for Shaq Lawson. Like, neither of them are good to cut right now, you know, according to the salary sites that I looked at. Like Shaq would be, you'd be upside down by about $5 million. Whitney, you'd be upside down by about $7 million. But neither of them are playing right now like they deserve to be on the football team. And I, I think, you know, there's there's actually decent competition along the the defensive front with this team. You know, all the outside linebackers are now listed as defensive linemen. Um, but there's you know there's a lot of guys that are playing. You know, there's that's one of those positions where I think whatever the vision is for Casario is coming to fruition. Which is we got all these guys on one year deals. You know, they got Vincent Taylor and they got Malik Collins and they you know even guys like Ross Blacklock who's not on a you know he's not in a contract year but he's in the second year. And I think he's like a lot of these younger players who feel like they've got a new lease on life with a different coaching staff and a better scheme and on both sides of the ball. Um, so I, I have Shaq Lawson off of there right now just because I, I looked at the – I just looked purely at the guys that have flashed in training camp. Um, I looked at guys who when I talk to people who are, you know, who are literally able to see every down, whose opinions I respect, when I talk to talk to folks like that, what they're seeing. I can, I combine all of it. And, um, and, and, you know, look, Shaq could go out tomorrow against the Cowboys and do some things and I'll have him back on the 53. But like, as of right now, I just had a really hard time cap hit be damned. I had a really hard time based on what I've seen and, 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 and based on what the team has invested in him. You know what I mean? Like people are going to go, well, they traded Benardrick McKinney for him. And I say, well, they were going to cut Benardrick McKinney. You know what I mean? This is a Akeem Dent, TJ Yates situation going on where, you know, these guys were going to you know probably both get, I don't know if Shaq Lawson was getting cut, but the Dolphins were clearly out on Shaq Lawson. So yeah, I mean, long answer to it, but I, like, I, I, I thought about it for a little bit, you know, um, it was one of the ones that Seth and I did today. We did last four in first four out on the 53 man roster today at different positions or well, I mean, for the 53, um, and, and each the last four in all corresponded to somebody who was in the first four out. So I had Whitney as the last one in on the defensive line, and I had Shaq Lawson as the first one out on the defensive line. And I, you know, I didn't have a big problem with it based on what I'd seen. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting too because like when the trade made was made, the idea was that like this is be their first like good edge rusher, uh, the number one edge rusher, and like everything from Lawson we've seen before. It's that 
you want him to be like maybe your third best pass rusher and you'd be yeah. okay in that situation. And yeah. so for him to be like the idea of going to the training camp from being the best pass rusher on the roster to you being cut uh, completely is kind of, is really interesting and, and uh, surprising to hear. Yeah. I, I think if they're going to generate a pass rush this year, that's, that's, that's even remotely decent. And obviously there's no JJ Watt anymore. So they've got big shoes to fill. Um, I think it's going to come from, I, I think it's big picture. I think it's going to come from numbers where it's just, they, they've got eight guys that they're rotating through there. The legs are fresher in the fourth quarter and maybe they get some pressure from that. Other than that, You've got to get some – Charles Amenehu's got to take whatever the pass, the pressure stats that he's had for a smaller sample size, and he's either got to improve those over the amount of snaps he's getting or he's got to play more snaps. So, like, improvement, like Amenehu, can he improve? Jacob Martin, I feel like we've been talking two years about, oh, Jacob Martin will be the guy. Like, I, I don't know, but Jacob Martin. I don't think Whitney's coming back from the dead. Um, Malik Collins has actually looked really good, but if I'm trying to generate a pass rush, do I want to count on somebody who you got to get an inside pass rush from? You know, like I think he'll he'll provide more pressure than the defensive lineman who they've had the last couple of years. But the defensive, the interior guys that had the last couple of years are geared towards Romeo's defense, where they're you know that's not their role. So I, I think they're going to probably count on you know probably doing some blitzing and having some fresh legs in the front four. And we'll, we'll see what happens. There's no perfect solutions with this team. You know what I mean? Like, there's no aha moment with the defense where you go, aha, there's where they go from 32nd to 10th. <laughs> and like, they, they didn't, you know, it's not 2011. You know, they didn't draft J.J. Watt and draft Brooks Reed and sign Jonathan Joseph and sign Daniel Manning and get Connor Barwin back from having his foot torn off his leg and all that stuff. Like, there's just, they're piecing it together. And they'll be better than they were last year because, A, they can't be worse than they were last year. And, B, I do think that they look like they know what they're doing so far in Lovey's scheme. Like I do, I do. I was skeptical about Lovey Smith just because I've watched a lot of Illinois football over the last few years, and I just felt like, man, he's not really good. Jeez. You know yeah. right, right, Rivers. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so, but, but I, but I think there's something to be said. Like, okay, well, now he's just the DC. It's been a long time since he's been just the DC, and maybe you know. He's getting to, you know, sink his hands into – he doesn't have to worry about offense or recruiting or any of these other things. He can just coach defense. And they do look like – they do look like they're grasping it. And the assistant coaches on both sides of the ball look like they, they just – I'm just observationally look like they're better teachers than what O'Brien had. You know what I mean? Like O'Brien on the offensive side, he's got, got a bunch of his old buddies there. You know, John Perry and Lawing. And Tim Kelly staying is one of the more miraculous things. But Tim Kelly's kind of acting and – conducting himself like a different guy. Like he looks like a guy who feels really happy that Bill O'Brien's not there anymore. So maybe he spreads his well. I don't know. But um you know we'll 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 see what happens. Um so I've I've one last question for you. And so like training camp very rarely is there a player who has like a great camp and they're a great preseason and it kind of carries on the regular season and you kind of point to like oh this moment in your know, training camp or preseason where you kind of got it. Like it usually happens, you know, before that point in time. Um, is there somebody though, in, that being said, is there somebody in training camp that you've been watching in the preseason who you're really excited for, for this upcoming season that may surprise some people? I do have a sleeper hit in your pocket. Ooh, a sleeper. Okay. I I feel like it's almost tough for it to be a sleeper because we talk about this stuff every day on our show. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, you know, Charlie Heck might start at right tackle. Well, we've talked about Charlie Heck every day. Like, you know, like, um, so a sleeper, that's a, that's a good, that's a good one. A sleeper. Like, I, I'll, I mean, I'll say this, like the wide receivers, 
I mean, we've talked about Nico Collins a lot. I think Nico Collins, all the rookies, okay, I'll say this, all the rookies, other than Davis Mills, who's sort of a separate case, and Davis Mills has gotten better over the last week or so, but all the rookies are playing, like, around above where they were drafted. You know what I mean? Like, Collins looks more like a second rounder. Revan Jordan looks more like a third or fourth rounder. You know, like, Ray, Roy, Ray, Roy Lopez – Roy Lopez is going to be a rotational defensive lineman for this team, and he deserves to be. He's done a lot of good things so far um, in, in training camp, and Garrett Wallows looked okay. So I think like the I think people I think people will be pleasantly surprised. I'm not saying they're going to go out and light the world on fire. Although Nico Collins is going to start for this team, I think. Um, so I, I I like I like what the rookies have done so far. Like Chris Conley's looked really really good in camp and in the game. Like he's looked really good in camp. And he's and he and he did some good things in that game against the Green Bay Packers. Um, so so I, I would say that you know Chris Conley is a guy that is gonna is gonna be better than what he's been at his other you know sort of journeyman stops that he that he's been at so far. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, let me let me think. You know, like Malik Collins has has looked really good. Jordan Jenkins has flashed at times. I'll tell you what, like I mean. It's a big year for him, but Justin Reed has had a great, like a, a really, really good camp. I mean, he's obviously somebody that Texan fans know, but I, I think it's a real key for Casario to find something in these last few draft classes that he can keep that he can feel good about keeping around for a second go around here, you know, like a second contract. Um, and Justin Reed has had a, a really good camp and everything that Seth talks about with Justin Reed seems to indicate he's a much better fit for what Lovey Smith wants to do with him than what uh, Anthony Weaver and Romeo Cornell wanted to do with him. So, I mean, I'm probably bringing up some names that everybody's seen on Twitter and heard us talking about on the radio and stuff like that. But, but th those are the ones, like when I think of reasons that I'm optimistic, and when I say optimistic, I'm talking like they'll go over their win total, that kind of thing. I was on a station in Nashville yesterday and and I and they said so what oh, they, the, you know they asked me a bunch of things about Deshaun and whatever whatever and then they said well, I think the Texans are going to do this year and I said well it'd be pretty boring if I came on your show and said well here they're going to go two and fifteen so I'm going to tell you why I think they could be much better than that you know like why I think they could win five or six games this year and go over their win total and I got done with my answer and they thought that I was high you know what I mean like they <laughs> yeah, they yeah. they were looking at the roster and they're like are you kidding me like like that. I'm looking at this. I don't know who these guys are. Your best players, Laramie Tunsil. Your quarterback, like your quarterback's getting sued by 22. Like all these things that are swirling around the team, and just the the, the sheer um, underwhelmingness of, of the roster. But but I like I do feel like there are reasons. Like I mean, see, it's the way the NFL works. You guys know this. Like every team, in my opinion, every team has a window, right? And it's like a four-win window. And, like, if you hit your ceiling, you're 11 wins. And if you hit your floor, you're a seven-win team. You know, if you hit your ceiling, you're a 13-win team. If you hit your floor, you're a nine-win team. And I, I think that's, that's the gambler in me. You know what I mean? Like, you guys are much better at, like, looking at the X's and O's in the film and stuff like that than I am. You guys do an awesome job with that. I'm the gambler who looks at it and just looks at the talent and the roster and how I see it with my eyes. And that's just generally how it's worked through the years. And so my window for the Texans is like the floor is two wins and the ceiling is six wins. And I think there's reasons that they could get to six wins. That was what I was trying to tell the people in Nashville. And it's kind of my answer to your question here, which is if I think they're going to get to six wins, obviously I think I need Terod Taylor needs to 
Terod Taylor needs to take care of business against other quarterbacks who are at his level or lower. And they fortunately, they play a lot of those this year. The quarterback slate that they're playing is not murderer's row. Like there's a few good ones, but it's a lot of rookies and a lot of average quarterbacks. So there's that. And then there's just other players who I think, you know, I think if the coaching staff develops some of the guys who are in 2018, 2019, and 2020 draft classes, if they come away with three guys in each of those classes that they feel good about, you know what I mean? There's only three left in the 2018 one. But right now, Justin Reed is your starting safety. Jordan Akins is is one of your two top tight ends. And Kiki Cutie's had a really good camp, and he's been your starting slot receiver so far. In 2019, Titus Howard, Max Sharping, both starting on the offensive line. Lonnie Johnson's had a really good camp, and Charles Amenehu has has been a guy who's flashed in previous years, and he's had a good camp. In 2020 class, Blacklock looks like a different player. Charlie Heck looks like a different player. And Jonathan Grenard looks like a different player, but not to the level of those other two, but we'll see what happens. You know what I mean? So that's the glass half full point of view. And so I think those – those are things, and I, you don't need all of them to play out, but if some of them or most of them play out, then the team's going to be better, and I think they're going to be competitive. I think they're going to be more competitive than people competitive than people expect them to be, largely because it's not a young team. It's a veteran team, and I think Terod Taylor's the type of quarterback who's going to let him hang around in some games. I don't know if he's going to make – I know he won't make the plays Deshaun was making, especially downfield, but he's not somebody who – you know, Terod Taylor's not going to have a game where he turns the ball over three times, and that's why you lose the game. You know, if you lose a game that Terod Taylor's quarterbacking, it's just because he can only put 17 points on the board. It's not because he's handed 14 points to the other team. You know what I mean? So long answer to your question, Matt, but the, the, I think somewhere in there I think I gave a few names of guys to uh, to that, that I'm optimistic about. You're, you're, yeah. very, you're, very, you're very kind very to kind. Uh, talk, talk, talk about, talk about how you don't, how you know, don't as much know as, as, as much as us. But at the same time, you brought that Akeem Dent trade, and I'm still reeling. I'm still <laughs> reeling. I'm looking up Jason Snelling on Pro Football Reference right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, well, Sean, we know that you're a, a man who has good weekends and everything, and so we'll let you enjoy the rest of your Friday night. But thanks for coming on. Uh, oh, yeah. It's been very enlightening and you know, it's it's hard, you know, from the point of view that we have these windows that we look out into to have some kind of idea of like how training camp's going, how preseason's going. Yeah. And it's a lot of just like eating other people's regurgitation, you know. Yeah. And so it's been very I feel like this is like the I've learned more in forty minutes than I have the last, you know, four weeks of, of reading other people's stuff, you know. Yeah. Well thank you. I appreciate you guys. You guys doing all of you guys do an awesome job and uh um, you know, that, that's <laughs> I I tweeted this a few weeks ago, but we're really lucky in this town to have people who cover the team outside of us and the radio and things like that. Guys like all of you who cover the team and do such a great job in the, you know, the, the, you know, the blogging and the, you know, in the, in the podcast world and things like that is, is really um, it's helpful to me. It makes me a lot smarter. So I appreciate you guys. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, of course. Of course. Thank you. It was very kind. You're uh, you are tough, smart, dependable and selfless. I'm glad that you have all four. <laughs> and, and, fr- oh, and, and, and Hey, and Hey, I am the first one in to the building every day. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not the last one to leave, I promise you that, but, I, but I'm halfway there. I am the first one in the building every day. <laughs> we love it. Well, enjoy your night. Have fun uh, watching the Saints Newark trail, trailer. We'll talk to you soon. All right. So, yeah. Oh, dude. Okay. You got to have me back on to talk about that. Sometime. For sure. Whenever the movie comes out, we'll talk about it. We'll do a whole I, I, show. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. Y'all have a great weekend. Thanks for having me on, and uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll talk soon. Bye. Keep up the work. Okay. Appreciate it, man. All right. See ya.
Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com.